before you decide to go into equity crowdfunding or even raising funds, I would say dedicate more time on your financial forecasting. I know in the beginning when we started doing this, my husband was like, well, we don't have a lot of this data information. I said, I get it. But it is our duty and our responsibility to come up with reasonable assumptions based on the best information at hand, based on our business model, what we want to do and what the market currently is accepting and have to be able to show investors. Because without that, then you're just selling them a dream. Sometimes you do need capital to grow your business, but are you following other founders' schedule when to raise capital or the type of capital that you need to raise? Or are you digging deeper and finding the right path for yourself that align with your values and vision? What others think you should do may not be the right thing for you. So get out from the comparison game and carve your own path. We continue with our journey in this equity crowdfunding podcast series. The goal of this series is to give you insight into this type of capital raising from different angles so you can decide the best strategy for you. Knowledge is power. In episode 105, 106, and 107, which are part of this podcast series, you have learned about the online platform you can use to raise capital through equity crowdfunding, the key pillars you need to have in place for marketing and business finances, the due diligence processes, the team you need to have in place, and the legal aspects of raising capital. In today's episode, which is the fourth episode in this equity crowdfunding series, you will learn from the angle of a business that is in the middle of her equity crowdfunding campaign with FrontFunder, an online equity crowdfunding platform based in Canada. I am joined with Vivian Riley, the Chief Operating Officer at Renovation Fine, which is also the finance brain in the business. Renovation Find is a research-based platform that utilizes a data-driven model to vet and certify contractors so homeowners avoid scams and bad renovation experiences. This podcast series will help you as a female founder and CEO to understand the benefit, risk, and process of raising capital through equity crowdfunding so you can decide what is best for you and your business. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. As you listen to this episode, you will hear my guests mention about BDC. BDC stands for Bank Development of Canada, and you will learn from my guests about hybrid financing. In the case of Renovation Fine, they do a combination of debt from BDC, equity crowdfunding, and traditional equity financing with accredited investors. Depending on the stage of your business and vision, you may benefit from hybrid financing. 
Here's what I want to remind you. In any capital raising, before you move into the full mode of capital raising, you need to build your financial story, which is an important part of your pitch deck. Let me share three tips that you can start doing if you plan to raise capital in the future. Tip number one, collect and maintain your historical data. I'm not talking about data from your accounting software only, but more importantly, historical data from marketing, sales, human resources, supply chain, inventory, and production. Look at your business and get data from the different processes. Support your historical data with research as well. Tip number two, think forward. Once you have your historical data, combine your historical data with your vision and build your financial forecast to answer the following questions. When do you need the external capital injection to your business? What is your runway? How much do you need? How are you planning to use this capital injection? Raising capital is not a plan that happened in a month or two because you have to build relationship first with investors and lenders. I know this process well because that was part of my role as vice president of finance. It takes time. Tip number three, once you do your forecast, update your forecast accordingly as your situation changes and new information comes to your attention. Remember, you have a business to run. Even when you are pitching to investors and lenders, your plan can change as you are approaching them. This is one of the big business principles I have learned doing capital raising for nine figures business. And often, small businesses neglect this maintain and update the forecast stage because they are too busy pitching and running a business at the same time. Here's my invitation to you. If you have a plan to raise capital in the future to grow your business for good, and you need help to build, maintain, and update your financial forecast so you can free some time to focus on finding and building a relationship with the right investors and lenders, let's chat. Book a time with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat. I have also created a podcast series specifically for growth stage businesses that are ready to set up the key pillars in business finances at christinashahli.com forward slash podcast series. Now, let's find out Vivian's CEO journey. Vivian Riley, welcome to her CEO journey. Before we dive into what you are exactly doing with the equity crowdfunding for Renovation Fine, your company, I would love for you to share with my audience, what is your journey before you become the COO of Renovation Fine? Oh, my journey is probably not very typical, but I actually am an, an accountant. So that is my background. I went to school to do accounting and actually became a CMA. And I actually worked at a corporate job at Stantec in the financial reporting team. I would say that that transition for me was very interesting <laughs> to say the <laughs> least because as an accountant you know it's a lot of structure there was structure where month end period end year end everything was done very timely and there were processes and everything in place and then when you take the leap to entrepreneurship to start something from scratch it's a lack of structure but it was very i have to say i learned a lot i think i learned the most i have ever learned and learning to embrace that kind of chaos really helps 
be able to see opportunities within that, right? Without being able to do that, I think you miss opportunities. I understand what you are saying about coming from a structured environment and then now you are building a business that you are practically learning. You just have to learn to deal with the uncertainties and the challenges that are thrown at you and be as optimistic as possible. So there is a lot of personal and professional growth with that, that leap of faith that I took. So share a little bit about Renovation Fine. What is this all about? Why you and Keith decided to create this business? We are a directory of trustworthy and quality companies that homeowners can search for free to handle any home improvement project needs. So, for example, if you need a plumber to come in because your toilet is completely leaking or bursted, uh, you can contact the plumber to a major home renovation kind of project that you need done. And then for the contractors, we are a certification program where we really help them stand out in the crowded industry and we provide the digital marketing support to help promote them in that industry. And what really sets us apart at Renovation Fund is we are research-based, so we are data-driven using technology to vet, monitor, and certify these home improvement companies so that we can really help them stand out and really convey that they are trustworthy and qualified. We really try to take the subjectivity out and be a little bit more objective with our data kind of driven model. How this idea came about was my husband, actually. So my husband was uh, a co-owner of a granite countertop company. So he has been in the industry and a trade himself for quite some time. And they grew that company based off of quality work and ensuring customer satisfaction, right? So during his time there, he met a lot of homeowners that was sharing horror stories. Like these are some stories that I didn't even think existed before this, right? Where they were getting ripped off, they paid the 50% deposit down to a contractor and then the contractor disappeared or they gutted their basement and never came back, <laughs> right? So it was, you know, he'll come home and share these stories with me. And for us, it was like, is this normal? This is not legal. Like, how is it that this is even possible? So he dived deeper into kind of looking to, is there anything out there that's really solving the problem, which is really how can homeowners find trusted contractors that they can actually have confidence in hiring and believe them when they actually say they're going to do the job and do it well? What he found was there was just at that time in the marketplace, it was a lot of review-based platforms. Like Homestar? Yeah, like Homestar is or Angie's List, right? They're review-based platforms. And it's not to say they're not good because people use them, right? But it definitely has its own set of, of flaws, you know, such as the issues with fake reviews, or on the flip side, from the business perspective, sometimes what has happened was there were consumers that would actually use that platform to threaten businesses, if you oh. will. It's like, if you're not going to do this, and it's more like unreasonable demands, right, then I would put a negative review on there. It's not validated. And actually, stuff like that can really hurt businesses. It can actually impact just one negative review. Now, again, you know, let's assume that it's a fake negative review. It hurts a business, like it can impact the revenue of 30% or more. There are a lot of discussions and it was really like, how is it that we can take something that really was a root of the problem and solve that problem, right? So, you know, my husband has an engineering background and with myself being an accountant, data is an important thing for us, right? Like being able to back it up with data and research and stuff. So we are a research-based platform that is driven by data to be able to promote and find these quality and trusted contractors based on our certification criteria. 
When I go to your website, renovationfine.com, what I see is you can do a search over there, just like a normal homepage. But I'm pretty sure there are many things, development behind that platform. If you can share a little bit, that will be great. On the front end, it doesn't look more than anything than just a directory, like you said, right? But on the back end for us, our seven criteria are actually real time. So for example, our seven criteria is, you know, legal background checks, credit checks, business license, WCB, BBB, and all that stuff. It's actually all drawn from real time. We are actually connected to to be able to grab that information. So at any point in time, for example, if a company on our site gets sued, we get that information. And then in real time, we get alerted and we have a certification team that reviews it and assesses it and then kind of take it to the next level as to the next, you know, what actions to, what steps to take. So there is a lot of like technology on the backside and we are a tech company because in essence, we are using a technology platform, research data driven to not just vet these companies, but we are continually monitoring them. So how did you come up with the idea of having a certification program for contractors and helping them with this marketing support? Yeah, I think that idea really came from my husband's experience in the industry, building up his granite shop. He basically tried every marketing thing that you can think of. And one thing we have found uh, based on kind of our research and discussions with other contractors that we knew was a lot of them were really good at what they do. Meaning if you hire a plumber, they're a great plumber. They would know how to fix your pipes and everything, but they were not necessarily very well versed in working on their business, the marketing side of things and helping them promote them. So for example, we have a lot of contractors that are new to the digital marketing world, actually, despite, you know, obviously the growing number of people that's online. So we really felt that we can help them in that sense. And the certification was really about building trust. Many homeowners, many consumers, not even just homeowner consumers, when they're searching online, a Google stat actually indicates that people research 10.4 sources before they make a purchasing decision. And a lot of that, they get persuaded whether there's a third party kind of seal of approval. So the certification is a way to communicate and convey that, you know, they have taken the extra steps to show that they are a quality company or a trustworthy company or an educated company, depending on kind of what, you know, accreditation or certification it is. Now, as a tech company, normally there is this term, what we call annual recurring revenue. So how do you or Renovation Fine build this annual recurring revenue? Is it from the contractor? Is it from the homeowner? How does it work? Sure. So it's from the contractors. So when the contractors apply to be part of the certification program, and once they are approved to be certified, then they get a choice of different marketing packages that is supported along with that program. And our marketing packages are an annual membership fee that they pay for us to help with the digital marketing support that comes along with it. And that's where we actually came up with how we generated and achieve a $1 million in annual recurring revenue. Congratulations, because as a tech-based company, annual recurring revenue is something that all tech-based are driven towards, right? And then it's not an easy task. It looks nice that you have $1 million annual recurring revenue. But what were the challenges in the early days to build this annual recurring revenue? We really wanted 
to focus on building a sustainable business and focus on that over the technology first. The challenge was really at first was figuring out who our customers are. We knew it was contractors, but we also serve as homeowners. So the challenging thing about our platform is we are kind of like a marketplace, but we don't monetize like a marketplace. We knew we wanted to, to provide it free for homeowners to use. Basically, our contractors, our customers who we're generating revenues from, what is our value proposition? How are we going to convey it? And then really at the end of the day is finding out what our customers were willing to pay. Do they like what we offer? If they don't like what we offer, then you don't really have a business, <laughs> right? They're not going to pay for what you're offering. And then the next step of after you acquire the customer, is it sticky? Like from a tech, that's kind of the term. Is it sticky? Meaning, you know, can you renew, right? How, what's your overall retention rate? What's your churn rate? Are they you know, willing to renew with you? And how much are they willing to pay for it? And then I think after that, for us, the second step was, okay, how did we go about acquiring more customers? And basically, how do we really grow this business? So at this time, we started out small. We hired our first sales person to really just do many tests. The way we started selling in the beginning to where we are now is completely different. And that was just a lot of, you know, testing and trying out what worked and what didn't work strategically. And then we just built processes and ultimately being able to, you know, we grew our sales team slowly, but we did it strategically because we were building up our data to figure out really what our predictable revenue is, which allows us to be able to work backwards to determine kind of from a revenue target, what we need, you know, what capacity do we need? What hiring do we need? What resources do we need? It really helped with providing all that from a forecasting standpoint going forward. What was the biggest investment at the early days? It was marketing. It was definitely marketing for us. Besides the cost of the launching the, the platform, the next big cost was marketing. So we actually ended up, uh, we are the official ticket sponsor, the major home shows or marketplace events. And that was a really huge marketing spend for us, but it was very, very well spent because from a brand awareness to attract contractors, as well as brand awareness to homeowners, it kind of killed two birds with one stone. So that was a major spend for us. I know that you have been doing this equity crowdfunding through FrontFunder. So let's talk a little bit about that. Did you consider other types of financing prior to approaching FrontFunder for equity crowdfunding? Tell my audience a little bit about your process to date. So yes, we have considered other type of financing before. So before we launched in 2014, we actually raised equity financing. So we raised $300,000 with a friends and family round. We also did another raise actually where we was a combination of debt financing and equity financing of $750,000, where we raised $500,000 from equity and two hundred fifty dollars was debt from BDC Canada. And then now we are raising the million. So we have considered it and we have done the other type. I'm interested to understand in terms of your thought process, you and Keith, the thought process behind this equity financing why are you choosing hybrid? Because some of the founders out there thinking like, oh, you know what? I just going to go straight equity financing or I going to go straight debt financing. The hybrid financing is first off with BDC, that type of debt actually required us to raise a certain amount through equity financing before they would actually come in for that 250. So 
So the way that the BDC loan is structured is a kind of venture debt, which is really good, actually, the way you have it structured is that you don't have to pay back that principal until the end of the term. And at the end of the term, you pay back the principal plus a premium. And then throughout the term of the loan, you're paying only on the interest. From a cash flow perspective for some businesses, I would say if you're able to service the debt and you are confident that you're able to repay that loan when it comes due, it's definitely an option I would say that you to look into, right? And whether it fits with your needs. Now, here's the interesting part. When you do all this calculation and then you're already raising half a million before equity and then now another 750,000 of equity as well, do you have this fear that there's you're losing that ownership and then giving it more to investor? The reason I'm asking this is one, there is sometimes misconception out there among women entrepreneurs about financing. There is a group of women entrepreneurs that would say that financing is a bad thing. I'd rather use my own money. That's one group. And then there is another group that is saying, I don't want to give my ownership or share my ownership with anybody because I'm going to lose control. Because you have been going through this race, capital race, like twice now, what is your experience? So we've been quite strategic with our raise and raising at different points of time when we hit certain milestones for us that over time when we are getting in preparation to raise for a series A type of round, which is typically, you know, one that you raise more money, which is between two to $15 million in the offering. It would just set us up better because in combination of debt and equity, we are not losing as much equity when we're actually doing this hybrid situation. So now why the third round you choose equity crowdfunding? We have built enough of an audience for them to actually get involved with what we're doing. It aligned very well with homeowners and contractors who have actually expressed an interest in investing in prior rounds, but they weren't able to because we had a minimum amount that they had to invest, which was larger than what they could, they wanted to do at that time. Equity crowdfunding, it was really nice because as a company, you can set what minimum that they can invest in. So you can set up like $500 or less and opens up to individuals that are otherwise not have qualified to actually invest to be able to invest through the equity crowdfunding platform. Before we hit record here, you also mentioned that it is not a straight equity crowdfunding. The beauty of being on FrontFunder is they allowed us to raise outside of the platform. What does that mean by outside the platform? meaning that we were able to continue to fundraise and raise normally like we would by talking to other accredited investors or other VCs that we might be interested in talking to already, you can actually raise outside of that platform. And the beauty of that, it really kind of allowed us to doing it in combination at the same time as a front funder campaign really helped created momentum, right? So the momentum really helps companies have a higher chance of success with the campaign, because you can really see the progress that you make on the campaigns. And people are likely to probably invest if they see other people investing as well, seeing traction that's that you're gaining on your campaign. So yeah, we're doing a combination of debt, equity crowdfunding, and your normal traditional equity financing. And in combination, we have found that that to be very helpful. And then adding the equity crowdfunding, what really helps with that is the ability to be able to have a large reach the ability to really allow us to market our company and tell our story to a larger audience. 
you know, we brought our own audience in, but FundFender also has an amazing network of, of, uh, of investors in their own groups. So combining those two really helped. So if anybody asks, why are you raising this $1 million? What's the goal? Eventually, the vision of our company is to be a nationwide company. The uh, goal of this raise is to get us to kind of the next milestone to hit about the $2 million in revenue and in preparation to go into a Series A round funding. So in order to get there, right, we need that growth to scale up kind of type of money to get to that point. I believe that you plan to use for marketing, sales, and as well as development, right? And what you are saying, once you receive this money, the first goal is to reach the $2 million annual recurring revenue, I believe. That's correct, because that will pretty much more than double our company valuation, and it will help us prepare for going into a Series A round, where again, the when you go into a Series A round, it is a larger amount of funding that you're asking for, you're raising that will help us get to the nationwide goal. What are the challenges in preparing this equity crowdfunding for you? Can you share that? It was just the time. My time is divided into so many different areas <laughs> and I'm sure <laughs> many entrepreneurs can relate and attest to the fact that they are spread very thin and they wear different hats. It was more about dedicating time to make sure that we get the campaign set up appropriately making sure that our campaign page, we got the video, basically the time to strategize a marketing plan and then executing on that marketing plan. It's great to have the campaign, but if there is no marketing behind it to drive traction, to make sure that there is success, I'm not sure how successful that campaign will be. The beauty of it was, is that uh, not only do we specialize in doing marketing, because we do marketing for the contractors, FrontFunder also has provided really good support when they onboard you and get, and they have a team uh, campaign manager that helps you get your campaign ready. And then they also provide you with what to expect and timelines to really help set you up for success. Now, on your front funder page, though, there is also a lot of in financial information that you have to put in because it's kind of like a promise that you have to make to the investors. This is our plan and this is how we're going to achieve it once we are successful with the capital raise. I know one of the biggest challenge out there in terms of the financial aspect of it is to come up with a financial projection to value the business, the estimated value of your business in the future, because it does involve a lot of assumption. So as a CPA yourself, what are the steps that you took to create a reasonable valuation that still allow your investor to be attracted to invest in your business? I think first and foremost, it was working backwards. And I kind of have the luxury at this point in time of our business to be able to have gathered historical data. Whereas initially when we first started, I think at this point when I was forecasting for our raise and kind of like, you know, what evaluation will be at different point in time is really working backwards and ensuring that our assumptions are very reasonable given the circumstances. Let's just say we, we want to reach this amount of revenue at this certain amount of time. Okay. I'm able to work backwards to say, okay, based on that, how many number of sales reps do I need? How many rep can reasonably sell in a time frame? I got to factor new sales member and the time to ramp up. How long will that be? 
How many leads do they need to, you know, to be given to a team? How much support then from that does a sales team need? Meaning that, you know, from a customer success team standpoint, what resources do we need? It really worked from the revenue side and worked backwards to figure out what resources we really needed. Have to consider turnover costs because realistically, as you grow your company, you have to factor that in because it will happen. (laughs) And we've learned the hard way, the impact it can have to your forecast. And I think the other is making sure that you're building in what if scenarios in your forecast, because as you're growing, nothing will ever be as planned. (laughs) And I'm sure your audience listening to this can totally, you know, relate to that. If you can have different various scenarios of your forecast, it will really help with your planning and being proactive with what can possibly happen. Between creating the marketing strategy and then making sure all the numbers that you are putting into that marketing campaign is accurate, complete, reliable, relevant, what would be the split between the marketing and creating the financial projection? Or what should business owner expect? I would like to say 50-50, but I know that that's not really realistic (laughs) because sometimes it's an order of operations, right? So if you're doing equity crowdfunding, I would probably say really focus on a marketing strategy side of things. But before you decide to go into equity crowdfunding or even raising funds, dedicate more time on your financial forecasting. So if you're already planning in advance that that is what you want to do, make sure you do dedicate time to that because when you're raising capital, you need to know your numbers. And you can't plan appropriately if you don't have somewhat of a forecast that's there. In addition to building the forecast, you also got to make sure you're maintaining the forecast because or else you defeat the purpose of actually doing the forecast in the first place. You cannot just like do it once and then after that, forget it because the number is going to keep changing. The economic situation is going to keep changing. Your business is going to keep changing. So it's not realistic to think that a forecast is static. It's about dynamic forecasting. It's changing with your business. You mentioned earlier, the first time there was no enough historical data for you to gather and use it. So what was your strategy during that time in order to create a reasonable financial projection to raise the first capital raise? It was a lot of research. It was not just research online, but it was, you know, it was a lot of research based on discussion with my husband who has industry knowledge that he was able to bring into it and a lot of assumptions. And when we look back at it now in hindsight, it's like, oh, that probably wasn't as reasonable as we, we thought. But again, you do have to work with what you've got to the best of your abilities. I know in the beginning when we started doing this, my husband was like, well, we don't have a lot of this data information. I said, I get it, but it is our duty and our responsibility to come up with reasonable assumptions based on the best information at hand, based on our business model, what we want to do and what the market currently is accepting and have to be able to show investors. Because without that, then you're just selling them a dream. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That is such a great point because if you don't have a financial projection to show the investors, how would they even understand your vision? How does your vision translate into profitability and sustainability of the business? Because they are investing in a business with the hope that your business is going to grow. 
obviously there is always risk with any investment, and I think this is where the importance of communication with the lender, with the investors, comes into play. I think you have done a few capital raise by now. How do you manage that communication with the investor and lender, especially after what happened in 2020 with COVID? We try our best to do it at least once a year at minimum. But obviously, since COVID hit, we were actually doing it every quarter. And the reason for it is because uh, we understand from an investor's perspective what is going on. Because all of a sudden, we haven't had a shutdown like that since the Spanish flu, right? So transparency and keeping communications open is the key in making sure that you are communicating to them, kind of reporting to them what's happening. What are you doing? Here's where we're at. Here's where, you know, I think things may change due to COVID. So we were really good in that sense that when COVID first hit, we really communicated that. And yeah, and then we at times, you know, we'll have kind of one-on-one conversations with any of the investors that, you know, just want to have a chat with us. They're more comfortable with chat and we're totally open with that. And I think just being transparent with them is the key with anything. So I think not just transparent with like your current investors, it's just being transparent with even like your potential investors and being transparent with our staff because it creates a lot of trust and, and confidence. Absolutely. That is one of the things that I always emphasize because when you are raising capital, the work starts once you receive the money because then you need to be able to show the investor and the lenders that you are growing the business like you plan. And when it doesn't happen, we all know there was there's so many uncertainty in business. But I think having the data to show them like what you have done and then why it's not working and then what is the solution and show that transparency in when you are communicating instead of hiding. I think that that's very important. Now, I want to ask you, as a fellow CPA, what is the one tool that you have used from the very beginning of your journey with Renovation Fine that you find really helpful? I would say two tools. The one tool so far for me that has completely changed, helped me on the accounting side and the bookkeeping and keeping up with all that is an accounting software. So we use QuickBooks. I highly recommend for any business to really start doing that. Don't do it manually. Don't do it on Excel. You're just making yourself more, you're just causing yourself more work. (laughs) And I think the other tool for myself, I am currently in the midst of, you know, kind of looking at doing it is really look into a cash flow projection program. So there's a lot of cash flow forecast programs that can integrate with your QuickBooks or whatever accounting software that you use. I highly, highly recommend making sure an accounting tool and a cash flow projection program, because depending at what stage of the business that you're in. So if you're early stage, you need to keep an eye on your cash at all times, because that is the survival of your business. It doesn't matter what your P&L says. It's your cash, right? Fast growth business also is very important. Just because you have all that money in the bank doesn't necessarily mean that spend it freely. But you've got to keep an eye on it because when you're growing fast, you can burn really fast, burn through your cash really fast. So I highly recommend at those points, like those are the two tools that I would say every business owner should really do. Now, having said that though, tools are only as good as how it's managed and the processes that have in place. 
So you can set it all up, but if you don't maintain it, just like a forecast, your data is not good because you don't have up-to-date data. You can't assess, you can't be proactive because you can't assess where you're at at any point in time. You don't know where you spent your money. You have no idea. So I would say, make sure that if you're doing that, you dedicate and have a process in place that you're updating your books at least on a monthly basis at minimum. Because I think here's one thing that a lot of business owners can learn from COVID-19 in 2020. It's always good to approach a bank when you are ready and understand exactly why you need it. That's one. And then second, I think it's also important to approach a bank when you don't really need the money. (laughs) Because... (laughs) Yes, that's for sure. You don't want to be approaching a bank when you're in dire, desperate need of having cash in your bank. Yes, <laughs> That's never I, a good situation. Exactly. Because then they, they also understand when they realize that you are desperate in having a cash in your bank account, you haven't done proper planning. Because if you have done proper planning, then you would have known like three months, six months before that something is going to happen. I think from your experience, Vivian, having an accurate data, even though, you know, COVID hit right away, but I think you have the ability to go back to your financial data and your cash flow projection and then really figure it out. Like, what exactly do you need? Because I remember one of your story that you are able to keep all this, uh, your staff during COVID-19. And then on top of that, you are still raising capital to grow the business. It was really quite a challenging time, but I'm sure everybody can totally relate to that, that it was a challenging time, both personally and professionally uh, around the world. But yeah, you're, you're right. For us, we actually, right before COVID, we were actually already raising money. We were actually in talks with BDC about the, uh, the loan that we actually just finalized that term sheet on Friday for this round. Uh, but then COVID hit. <laughs> so, you know, it threw everybody for a loop. And for us, it was like, we halted everything. We halted the raise and all that. And we said, okay, now it's time. We are not focusing on raising capital and growth. We are now focusing on survival, right? And I'm sure every business owner was exactly that way, right? And for us, I think like over time, we pivot, obviously we strategize really quick. We are super, super grateful, appreciative to our team who has been amazing. They've adapted so well. Without them, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we are right now. We're very lucky to say we actually experienced growth in a pandemic year. And we really wouldn't have been able to do that without our team being there with us, right? And it was all hands on deck, like I said in my video, right? And everybody stepped up to the plate and it was like, Whatever we had to do to comfort our contractors, to help our contractors, or to help our homeowners, whatever it was, it was everybody was doing what they needed to do. But for us, it was after, you know, a while that we started seeing, okay, we are now past the survival. We have more than survived. We actually are, you know, we actually have shown growth. Then we knew, okay, it was time to go back to let's raise capital. Let's, you know, let's talk to BDC again. And we were always in touch with BDC that whole time uh, through COVID. Just because, again, it's a communication like you mentioned before, right? And then, yeah, so when we're back in the raising game, it was after we really knew that, you know, we can actually grow through this time. What was your first step in terms of cash flow management when the door closed on March 11th? The first step was 
we took a look at our cash projection. We assessed right away, at where can we actually cut down on costs? Now that we have everybody working from home, what are some of the ones that were no-brainers that we can actually cut out? Then we looked at the other ones that, okay, what of these costs can we actually negotiate what to do? So for example, one of them was our rent with our landlord. We have very, very grateful to our landlord. They were really great. We were able to negotiate something where we just paid something way lower, and then we can pay back the difference at a later time. Again, the cash projection really came into play because without that, I think it would be really hard to manage, right? Because we already forecasted what we would do. We already knew kind of on a high level basis what our monthly cost was. We kind of knew kind of on a monthly basis how much we need to to sell in revenue in order to be able to cover that cost. So we were able to quickly react to it, if you will, and take the appropriate steps needed to cut costs. And we were able to actually find ways to cut costs and save ourselves 20% in operational overhead costs. Wow. And then because of that, you are able to keep all your staff during COVID-19. That was our priority, was making sure we were able to keep our staff. And then obviously when government kind of announced all the the assistance, we jumped on board. We took and advantage we of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those are non-dilutive, right? They're non-dilutive. And they are they are there to help companies like ourselves and, and any other business that were impacted to get through COVID, right? So we definitely took advantage of that. We looked into all the programs. And again, it was just a matter of controlling our costs and then figuring out, you know, ways on our end to pivot on how to help our contractors, right? So it was tough at first to, to try to still sell marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I know. Marketing is the first to go. A lot of contractors are probably more reactive when it comes to that. Like they're not sure they don't want to, you know, they don't want to do anything. They don't want to talk to you. So the first couple of weeks after uh, COVID hit in March, we, we were significantly impacted, <laughs> but we bounced back starting in April. We pivoted and took different strategies on how to really grow our sales. We ran different promotions. We figure out ways, uh, different ways to help our contractors. I completely agree with you because even if we look at the economic cycles, recession always going to happen. Even though you said, oh, you know, it's unexpected. Actually, it is expected. (laughs) You know, like the talk about recession already happened. I still remember this. I was reading news like back in November 2019, December 2019. Oh, we're going to go into recession. We're going to go into recession. What I believe COVID-19 is just kind of took everybody by shock, right? Because it happened so quickly. But if you're talking about economic downturn, it's really, it's already underway. And then as entrepreneurs, we just have to be ready because it's going to happen. If it's not COVID, it's something else. (laughs) It's something else. Oh, for sure. Every day you're wearing different hats. You're probably putting out fire 80% of the day. And then like by the end of the day, you go home and, you know, you question like, what What have I done What did I do majority of my day? But, you know, that is... That's the beauty of it too, right? So again, you know, I started out this journey where the challenge for me was a lack of structure, (laughs) right? Uh, To now really embracing this chaos. (laughs) And I wouldn't change it for the world to tell you the truth. I wouldn't. It's the best learning experience ever. (laughs) Nothing like personal and professional growth with uncertainty and having to deal with it on a daily basis. I really wouldn't change it for the world. Have you built your finance team? Because you guys are growing. We are probably going to be the last one to be built. But it's a needed cost center, to tell you the truth. Yes. Okay. Fine. I I agree with that completely. Yeah. 
it's a yeah, needed okay. cost center. I think business owners, if you know, they need to see that it is a needed cost center because if you don't have somebody that's part of your founding team or your current team member that, you know, that can assist with the whole projections and stuff, and you might not be very specialized yourself, I highly recommend you do it, even if it's somebody that's part-time, right? For example, the service that you offer is perfect because it's kind of mid-ground, a company that might not be enough to be able to have a full-time, but still need to be able to have some guidance, right, with regards to that, because they may not be very well-educated or know or familiar or knowledgeable in that area, right? With regards to us, I always tell my husband, I'm like, you're very lucky that I bring the very lucky I bring the accounting aspect into this because it has really, really helped. I'm also very lucky to have him as a business partner as well because we both complement each other very well. So I'm very good on the operational side of things and working with, you know, the numbers and like the projections and the accounting and, and any legal, all documentation, that's where I'm really strong at with him. He on the high level, you know, is really good with, you know, on the sales side and the marketing side and and together we work really well. So we got really lucky that way. And, you know, people say everything happens for a reason. So I'm sure that's exactly why that's one of the reasons why we're together. (laughs) Yes. And I, you know what, you are absolutely correct in there. Like my experience has been when you are in a startup stage, you can manage with a bookkeeper having a tax accountant preparing your tax return, right? You don't need more than that. You can manage your own cash flow projection. But when you start getting to that one million and a half and above, and then you are wearing so many hat, that is where things can fall apart because growth needs cash. Without revenue, without sales, you're not going to grow. Right. But at the same time, once you bring in the the money, what are you going to do with that money in order to grow strategically with the business? That's when you as a CPA comes in and then help him think through and then ask the questions and strategize and then bring the vision that you guys want for renovation fine into numbers. So I think that's where you guys are really complement each other. And that's why renovation fine is like growing stronger. Yeah, we're that's definitely a key strength of ours is the backgrounds and the experience and us complementing each other, just like with any founding team, right? For any company, the founding team, you really need to have the communication that's there. You really need to find a partner that, complements well where your strengths are is their weakness and vice versa you know and sometimes finding that founding partner is not easy <laughs> right? oh yeah absolutely um, and it can fall apart I'm sure we all have heard stories and some of us have experienced some of that so for Keith and I my husband and I we're kind of lucky that way some people will see it as a risk because we're a married couple and that they're like oh I don't want anything to do with you know a founding team that's like a married couple right but The flip side of that, that I think some people miss seeing is that all the important or all the ingredients that are required to have a successful partnership usually is already ingrained in the marriage. And so we're able to translate that and being able to to use it on the renovation fine side, it has really yielded as an advantage for us. And then, you know, you guys been building this business since 2014. It's been seven years. If it's not working, you guys won't achieve what you have achieved today, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, very, very true. Very true. It wasn't always rosy. It definitely had its challenges. But, you know, I think those challenges were good because both him and I are not afraid to 
play the devil's advocate and challenge each other. And I think that's what you need. Yep, absolutely. So what would be your advice, Vivian, to women entrepreneurs who are thinking right now, is this the right time to raise capital? And then what should I do first? Okay. I don't know if there's ever really a great time to raise capital. I would say, you know, it's unique to every business and you really have to assess what your business needs are and what your vision is for the business. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've definitely learned, and it's something I'm still learning to this day, is you need to master your pitch. That's first and foremost. You got to master your pitch and learn all the different ways to be able to raise capital. Make sure you equip yourself with all the knowledge of the different options that are out there because there's definitely way more options now than what we are were traditionally used to. Even just in the last few years, equity crowdfunding is definitely one of them, right? So research your options. Regarding the pitch, I would say master both your elevator pitch and your pitch. So the difference between the two is really the elevator pitches. You're able to clearly and concisely convey your value proposition of what you do in a matter of two to five minutes or less Then your pitch, right? So I think from there, also learning about the different type of investors. So as a company, you have different stages and just learn kind of all the different different type of investors and at what stage that they actually will come in at, right? So you have angel investors who will come in at your pre-seed or seed funding round where they're taking on more risk. And then you will have VC, which is a little different. They come in at different VC funding. They come in at different valuations because of their portfolio or whatever the case may be or their fund. Um, so just invest all the different kind of investors that come in at different stages and know who you're pitching to, right? And then just uh, the other thing I think more importantly is making sure you convey to them why they should invest in you. Because when they're putting the money in, they're not just investing in like your business. They're really investing in you, especially if you're an early stage company, because they want to know the person who is running it and the founder can actually execute on the idea, on the plan. Because without the execution, it simply is just an idea. Now, in your opinion, though, like uh, for equity crowdfunding, at what stage that of a business should they consider raising through equity crowdfunding? I would say at the stage where you've had a chance to build your own network of potential investors. And the reason why I say that is because it's about momentum. So when you went doing equity crowdfunding, the beauty of it is you get to show your progress on the campaign page. And the more progress and traction you show on the campaign page, the more urgency you're creating. For example, Fund Funder, it was amazing to leverage their own net, like their network of investors as well, and also leverage kind of the support that they provide, which is, you know, events that they hold, pitch events, online pitch events that they hold to try to get your name out there. So they do a really good job with that. But in addition to that, you know, for us, one of our success also is that we have our own network. A lot, we have our own audience that we were able to bring to the campaign that really helped gain the traction. So, for example, um, because of that, on our first day of launch of our campaign, I think less than 24 hours of, of uh, the launch of our campaign, we had, I think, five or $7,000 already that was raised. And that's really quick. And that's all because, again, it's the effort of the marketing strategy that we put into play and the audience that we were able to bring into as well as Fund Funders Network of Investors. And gaining that traction and showing that progress is, is very important because it, it gives people confidence, right, when they see it, right? People have a tendency to follow 
they don't want to probably be the first one to take the leap, but they see other people doing it. They, it's the trust factor, right? So if I can summarize everything in terms of the process, I think the financial aspect of it, that is, should already be part of your day-to-day review and day-to-day maintenance, right? You cannot just like when you are ready to do equity crowdfunding and then you're scrambling to do that or any capital raise. But specifically for equity crowdfunding, that financial projection, the financial information should already be ready before you are even marketing it. The marketing is where you're going to spend a lot of time once you are approaching a front funder and then really strategize on how you can create the momentum. Yes, totally. Yeah, before you raise capital, whether it's equity crowdfunding or any other kind of um, option should you choose, make sure your financials are actually ready and make sure that that's because they're going to ask for it. And depending at what stage that you're raising money at, it's not, it's normal for them to actually ask for certain things from you. So they do go through like a due diligence process. And that's something where they'll not only ask you about your financials, but they will also ask about, you know, like any legal documents, um, your cap table, all that stuff. So I would probably say do some research on that and make sure that you know your numbers prior to starting to raise capital. And then also in during the due diligence, they will ask about how do you come up with this assumption? Because they, they want to know it's it's part of the financial projection. So for some investor, they will ask. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And they will ask. Also want to do diligence process. They just not only want to make sure about your assumptions, but they just want to make sure that the claims that you're making or what you're saying is backed up. Exactly. That's absolutely right. Vivian, this has been lovely. Where can people find you? You can always email me at Vivian, V-I-V-I-A-N, at renovationfind.com. Um, alternatively, I am also on LinkedIn, Vivian Riley. So just look me up. And then on the website, feel free to just come check us out at www.renovationfind.com. So if anybody is interested to check out Renovation Find campaign, Go to Front Funder and you can search under Renovation Fine and then you can check it out. Thank you so much, Vivian, for being here. No, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So and keep doing what you're doing. So thank you so much for having me on part of this podcast. And that's bring us to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months, let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat.